Don't think I don't see you, little one. I think there's enough for both of us, though. Fear not, for you have been favored by God to conceive and bear a son. A... Uh, a son? What? How? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the child will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. Thank you. Do I say thank you? I mean, yes. Let it be done, just as you say. saying that baby is the actual messiah like from the prophets i do need to sit down actually i know i know how it sounds but yes and god wants you and me to raise him me are you sure that i mean did the angel mention me well no but, but it's... I, I i can't raise the son of god he's a king i'm just a carpenter he needs someone with a little more experience being I, I, I don't know, kingish. I mean, who am I? You're my husband. I am so sorry. This is just so much to take in right now. Can I have a little time? Hey, Hope. I am Emily Beltram. I'm your minister of children and students here at Hope Ankeny, and I get to share with you today this unbelievable story of Joseph. And speaking of unbelievable, was that not just like unbelievably adorable? So good job, kids. That was so fun. I think it is super, super fun to be around kids this time of year because they have this special gift that they still hold on to everything around Christmas with just open-eyed wonder. And it gives me so much joy. So um, I was actually hoping, kids, that you would bring some of your joy into my sermon today. Did you guys get bubbles? If you got bubbles, hold them up nice and high. Let me see. Okay. So you're not just going to blow your bubbles willy-nilly. I'm going to give you particular times to blow your bubbles, okay? Can we do this together? And you are going to bring great joy this morning with your bubbles. I thought maybe before we got started, though, we should practice a little bit. And you guys can demonstrate how much wonder you have, all of the wonderful things that you believe in at Christmas time. So go ahead if you want. You can open your bubbles. And I'm going to have you blow your bubbles nice and high if you agree with what I'm saying. So hang on. Don't blow them yet. If you agree with what I'm saying. Okay, so get them ready. Blow your bubbles if you have an elf at your house that has been keeping an eye on you until Christmas. Okay, yep, elf on the shelf has a presence. All right, <clears throat> not as many kids seem to have heard of this one, but it is one of my 
middle daughter's just favorite things. Blow your bubbles if, when there's snow in the forecast, you sleep with your pajamas inside out and a spoon under your pillow to try and get a snow day. <laughs> Seriously? No bubbles? Well, no wonder we haven't been getting any snow. This explains it. Okay, not as popular, but I tell you what, my middle daughter, the least, the least prediction of snow, and she was sleeping with her pajamas inside out. Okay, what about this one? Blow your bubbles if you have hung a stocking in your house that you expect Santa to fill with goodies. Oh, I see some bubbles back there. Santa is popular. Santa is popular. Okay, one more. One more, kids. Blow your bubbles if you believe that God's only son, Jesus, was born among the animals about 2,000 years ago. Oh, look at that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys are just having fun with your bubbles, but it looks to me like there's a lot of faith in this room. Okay, so go ahead and put your bubbles away for the moment. I'm going to tell a story, and I want you kids to listen really close. Because every time I mention a dream, like if I talk about a dream or I say the word dream, blow your bubbles and make it all dreamy in here for us. Can you do that for me? Okay, awesome, great. Because that's what's awesome about kids, right? They hear the nativity story, they just listen to the story in wonder. And adults, we have a little harder time with it than that, don't we? We tend to hear the birth stories of Jesus, and we kind of listen with, like, 21st century ears. We listen for, do I like that or don't I like that? Do I agree with that or don't I agree with that? Does that seem plausible? And if I were to give all of you adults bubbles, there's a good chance that if I asked you to blow your bubbles every time I say something that seems a little unbelievable... You'd be filling this room with bubbles all through the nativity story. And it's understandable. I mean, some of you are here, and you have been hearing this story every year your whole lives. And so it's just lost a little of its wonder for you. And, and some of you are here because one of, these, one of these really cute kids dragged you here to church to hear them sing today, and you're just not really sure if you're buying this whole thing. And I get that. That is how we, as 21st century people, tend to hear a story. But what I'm going to ask you to do is just drop your guard and listen to this story for what it has to say. Because if you are not willing, if you're going to keep your guard up, you're not going to make it through the first verse. Because it starts here. Chapter 1 of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary, who was engaged to be married to Joseph, <clears throat> was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you to be open-minded and we go straight to a virgin birth. Yeah. If you have a little trouble grasping the po possibility of a virgin birth, you should know that you are in good company. Do you know who else had trouble with this idea? Joseph. Joseph had trouble with this idea. 
Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So I'm going to spend a little extra time on this verse because this one little verse gives us a ton of background about what was going on here. But to our modern ears, we may not hear, it may not be as obvious to us, everything this verse has just said. So first of all, these two, Mary and Joseph, they are engaged, but they have not officially married yet. And the different, the, what, what we know about that, though, is that this arrangement that their families had made with each other is legally binding. It's way more when Joseph wants to break the engagement. It's way more than just calling it quits, having a breakup. Um, this story that we're reading in English was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word behind break the engagement is a word that's not really a breakup-y word. It's really a divorce word. So Joseph has to go to the trouble of legally divorcing Mary, even though they haven't officially been married yet. So if he's willing to go to the trouble to get a legal divorce from her, well, you know what else that means. He is not buying her story about how she became pregnant. But that's not all that's going on here. This also says that Joseph was a righteous man. In those days, what it meant to be a righteous man meant that he had been following faithfully the rules of the Old Testament. He's been obeying the law. He's in good standing with his community and with his faith because of that. So if he's been following all of these rules of the Old Testament, that means he knows those rules pretty well. So he would know that there are a lot of Old Testament rules that were designed to protect a man like him from having to raise the child that was not his. He would know that in Deuteronomy 22, there is a specific law that says a woman in Mary's condition should be brought out publicly and executed. So he is making this decision rather than apply the law to instead settle for a divorce and spare her. So that tells us a lot about Joseph, about his character, what kind of person he is. But do you see what else is happening here? This story is already adding a twist. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her. So being righteous had always been about following the rules. But now in this story, righteousness is being connected with not following the rule and offering mercy instead. Interesting. Hmm. So Joseph must have been mulling over his decision. Maybe he decided to sleep on it because as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Yeah, there we go. Nice, dreamy bubbles. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So if you're following along in your Bible, you would see that next Matthew has a little aside where he quotes 
prophecy from Isaiah to show that these events of Jesus' birth are matching up with what the prophet said about the king who was to come. And if you were here last weekend, you heard Pastor Scott give a whole message about prophecy. So I'm not going to go into it too much right now, but if you didn't catch that, you definitely want to go back and hear what he had to say. But suffice it to say, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, prophecy is quoted over and over again because Matthew wanted to make sure that anyone who heard or read this story would know that Jesus was the promised king. So then in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. So I don't know how you might feel about an angel appearing to you in a dream and telling you what to name your fiance's baby that God conceived in her, but everybody's going to think is yours. But this must have been a pretty compelling dream because Joseph did everything the angel told him to. Joseph even named the baby Jesus. So next, as we flip to chapter 2, we find the part where the Magi visit. Take a look. Your Majesty, three Magi bearing gifts for the king. Ah, your gifts are unexpected, though not unwelcome. Um, your Majesty, these gifts are not for you. Yes, they're for the new king. What new king? The one foretold by the star. I knew it. It's a birthday party for the new king. No, no, I'm pretty certain it's a baby shower. Or maybe they're referring to the coming Messiah, the Son of God. This new king is a problem. Get rid of the problem. So the Magi, they have been drawn by the star to come meet the new king. And this does not sit well with the current king, Herod. He very quickly puts two and two together that this new king must be the promised Messiah. And no one needs two kings. So the Magi go, they meet baby Jesus, they give him these fancy gifts, and then they go home a different way so that they won't run into Herod again. And just when Joseph thinks he's about to get some shut-eye, I mean, you guys know what it's like to have a newborn in the house, right? He needs some rest. But after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. There we go. Look at our dreamy bubbles. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And again, this must have been a pretty compelling dream, because that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. So imagine how terrifying that dream must have been, that he would wake up in the middle of the night, pack up his wife and their child, and just flee right then to Egypt. I mean, good thing they just got those expensive gifts from the Magi, because what were they going to live off of in Egypt when they just packed up and left in the middle of the night? 
There's another interesting connection in this story here that a first century Jew would very likely pick up on, but we're not necessarily as quick to notice. Although, if you know your Old Testament, you might have noticed this already. You see, back in the Old Testament book of Genesis, back in the very beginning, I guess, Joseph had a great, 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 like 32, 34 generations back, great uncle, who also made a flight to Egypt. Joseph's great uncle, kids, you're not going to believe this, Joseph's great uncle had the same name as him. They were both named Joseph. And great uncle Joseph also took an unplanned trip to Egypt. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it's kind of cool. When great uncle Joseph's brothers sold him to passersby and he landed in Egypt, it kicked off the defining story of the Old Testament and a hit Broadway musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So if you want to catch up on Joseph's, great Uncle Joseph's story, well, you might want to go home and, and check out that musical, or you can check out the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. Or if you don't want to do that right now, you could wait. We're going to do the whole, bully, the whole Holy Bible in a year next year. So that'll be an interesting part of the readings if you decide to read the whole Holy Bible with us. But for now, I will just hit some highlights. There are some things that Mary's Joseph, the righteous Joseph, has in common with great uncle Joseph, besides their name. One is they both had powerful dreams that foretold the future. Kind of fascinating. Another is that great uncle Joseph's whole family was also driven to Egypt. Of course, they were driven there by a famine which is a little different than a homicidal king. Go figure. But get this. The story of great uncle Joseph's family when they land in Egypt is that they become slaves to a homicidal king. So it seals their identity as God's people when God delivers them from that. Again, these are stories that a first century Jew would be very familiar with. But if you've been around church much, you've probably heard them quite a few times too. This is the story of the first Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, God providing manna to feed the people in the wilderness, and then God giving them the first covenant, which was God's promise through the law and the Ten Commandments, that if they would obey God's law, God would bless them. So deliverance from Egypt, that became the identifying story of God's people. So it just feels like a detail that you, that you can't overlook, that in the land where God killed all of their firstborn in order to free his people from slavery, that is the same land where God sends God's firstborn son to avoid having him be killed. It just doesn't feel like a coincidence to me. So I thought I should mention it. So the Holy Family stays safely in Egypt until, well, can you guess what happens? 
Turn to someone near you and guess why they leave Egypt. And kids, if you hear the magic word, you know what to do. Picking up in chapter 2, verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So it's another dream. This angel is bossing Joseph around some more, and Joseph, he's doing what he's told again. Verse 22, but when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. So that's where we come to the end of today's Bible story about Joseph, about Jesus' birth. The next time Jesus shows up in the Gospel of Matthew, he's a grown man getting baptized by his cousin John. And it's kind of interesting because Joseph, who's been the hero of this whole first story, he never shows up again in the Gospel of Matthew. Church tradition holds that he probably died while Je before Jesus started his public ministry. And that's why we never hear from him again. And if you did what I asked, if you dropped your guard to just hear this story for what it has to say, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I hope that it gave you a chance to hear something new in this story. Let me share with you what I noticed when I was reading this story closer. First of all, I think part of the reason why we tend to approach the nativity stories with skepticism is because we want to ask questions that these stories are not interested in answering. Give me just a second, I'm gonna take a quick drink here. Sorry about that. We have like, we have these fascinating questions about how this all happened. Like, like I don't know, how was Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit? How does that work? How would Jesus' DNA have shown up on Ancestry.com? Where would they have put it? How would that work? Was half his double helix, did it just glow? No. No? I don't know. I don't know. These are fascinating questions, right? But these are questions that the Gospel of Matthew isn't even interested in telling us. The Gospel of Matthew isn't even trying to convince us that Jesus is real. I mean, at the time when this Gospel was written, they're the people who he's writing to, they knew people who knew Jesus. It hadn't been that long since Jesus had been a, a living, breathing person. So they didn't really wonder whether or not Jesus was real. So Matthew's not even trying to tell us that. The, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew isn't trying to convince us that Joseph was a psychic medium. It was not trying to convince us about a fascinating astronomical event that happened in the skies of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. What this gospel is trying to tell us is who Jesus was and why he came. It's preparing us for the gospel. It tells us that God sent his son to change everything. Jesus is king, he says. The Magi recognize it. The prophets foretold it. Even King Herod, 
recognizes that Jesus is a threat to his rule. Jesus wasn't just a great communicator or a good person. Jesus was already a threat to power when he was still an infant. Why? Why? Because he's the king. Because he is set apart. Because something is happening through him. But what? Well, it's in the name the angel says for Joseph to give him. The, Matthew's not playing hide and seek with his bottom line here. The angel reveals it to Joseph in the first dream. Jesus will save his people from their sins. And that is a huge contrast from what happened when great uncle Joseph went to Egypt. That story it's about a deliverance from oppression. That story is about convincing the people to trust that God is the one true God. That God would provide for his people and that God's law should be obeyed. But the centuries after that, until the time of Joseph, they had found out that the law could really only do two things. One, the law would convince you that you could never obey the law, that it was too hard, nobody was ever going to keep it perfectly, and that causes despair. There is no way to be righteous if you're being held to a standard that you can never accomplish. The other thing that the law can do is if you believe that you actually are accomplishing the law, that you actually are following all of the rules, well, then you are going to start relying for your righteousness on your ability to perform the law instead of relying on the grace, the gift of the one true God. So Matthew's story of unbelievable dreams and deliveries, it does the opposite. It prepares the way for the gospel. It delivers the good news that Jesus' purpose was to free us from striving for our own forgiveness. The law is just a trap. It either lures you into worshiping the rules instead of the God or into despising the rules and the God who gave them. We want to trust and believe and desire the one true God. So like Joseph, when he decides to divorce Mary quietly, righteousness has changed. Righteousness has changed from law to mercy. It has changed from rules to grace. Because of Jesus, we can quit striving. We can quit trying to earn our own righteousness and just care for the people around us like Joseph cared for Mary without keeping count of who did what for whom or who owes whom. Isn't that good news? I think that's really good news. Caring for others without keeping a record. Isn't that just what your Advent needed? I mean, the law traps us this hectic season. You are not alone if you are one of those people who's in the thick of everything, trying to make it all come together. We all feel it. The gifts we need to buy and wrap, the parties that we feel like we have to show up to, all of the concerts and, and activities and games that our kids want us to come and see them in, all of the things that need to be done, the tree that needs trimming, the 
cookies that need baking. I'm pretty sure the deadline for Christmas delivery is tomorrow. Or maybe it was an hour ago. I'm not sure. There's just so much to do. And isn't this just the perfect time to come down with a cold and lose my voice? Why not, right? And I didn't even need an angel to come visit me in a dream this week because I had the voice of a mentor in my ear reminding me when I was frustrated. But I was just frustrated because I was losing control. I'm coming to the end of myself and what I can do. And I do not like being under the law. I do not like that feeling. See, keeping all those balls in the air, staying ahead of the demands, that feels good. That fuels my ego. That gives me a sense of accomplishment, power, pride. But you know what it'll never do? It will never make me righteous. Only Jesus could do that. And when it comes to the flourish of the Christmas season, I don't know, we become like the little kid who's so excited by the paper and the bows that they accidentally dump the present out and start playing with the box. They start, <clears throat> they get sidetracked by the garland, the twinkling lights, the scrumptious pie. I don't want to settle for the box, you guys. I don't want to put my trust in glitter and mistletoe. It is so tempting to trust that I can make Christmas magical all by myself. With my root beer ribs and my beautiful gifts that are just what my kids dreamed about, by doing all the Christmassy things all just right, I can make Christmas special. But when I do that, I am just playing with the box. I'm not even seeing that the real gift whether I ever light a candle or wrap a gift, the real gift is that the Savior of the world has come. He lived, he died, and he rose again to reveal to us that there is a God that we can trust with all of it. We can throw away the rule book. We can give up on striving for our own righteousness. We can throw away the box. We can finally just care for each other just care for each other and do life together, not to earn anything, just to celebrate that the Christ child Jesus was born, that he came to save his people from their sins. So let's stand up and let's join the worship team and let's just praise Jesus for coming and doing that for us.